Thank you for tuning in to listen to A Fine Time for Healing. I am your show host, Randy Fine, and we're coming to you for, from my YouTube studio. Um, we've been doing this by audio for 12 years, and we're now doing video, and I'm real excited about that, and I think my guests are too. It's really great for you to be able to see what I see rather than just listening. So. Um, and if you are not a follower of my YouTube channel, please follow me and like my videos uh, so that others will be encouraged to do the same. Today we have with us Karen Herrick. Let me read you her bio. Reverend Karen E. Herrick, PhD, she's got a lot of letters after her name, LCSW, LMSW, CADC, ACMHP, finished an interdisciplinary disciplinary doctoral major at Union Institute and University, Cincinnati, Ohio, in 2008 in philosophy. She has shared her clinical expertise for 30 years in private practice and by lecturing on dysfunctional addictive homes, dissociation, and grief and loss. Okay, um, and today we're going to be talking about how the spirit world shaped the perspective of Carl Jung, William James, and Abraham Maslow. This is something we have never even touched on here on A Fine Time for Healing, and we've touched on a lot. So um, good morning, Karen. Welcome. Good morning. Thank you for having me. You are welcome. Would you prefer I refer to you as Dr. Herrick, or is Karen okay? Oh, Karen's fine. Okay. All right. Just want to make sure I'm respect respectful. Okay. Um, Tell us how all this came about, how this discovery came about. Okay, so after my social work degree, I, I started um, studying Carl Jung uh, because they don't teach much about that at, at a university. They give you six weeks. And William James, they talk about pragmatism and all this other stuff. They don't talk about mediumship. And then I realized they didn't talk about a lot at, at the university that I was really interested in. Um, for instance, Carl Jung believed that uh, we had a sole purpose in this life and that we needed to find out what it was. And then if you connect your soul with your personality, you're going to be happier. And uh, William James and uh, his wife studied mediums because they had lost a toddler child and they wanted to know, Mrs. James wanted to know what happened to her son. And so they went because of a personal experience to mediums. And then he started studying them at the University of Massachusetts. And he called them mental healers because they got information through their mind. Um, and, um, and then he started association here and people came over from England and they studied Mrs. Piper, who he called his white crow because she was a medium that was more than 85% accurate, which is about the accuracy you can assume from a good medium. Okay. Um, but, uh, it was all like, um, interesting to me until I started getting clients that were in chronic grief and, you know, even my wonderful personality and everything I knew couldn't move them. Uh, because they had lost this connection with their deceased loved one, ones, and they felt that they couldn't go on and they couldn't live without this, you know, other person. And uh, because I had been to mediums and psychics, I lived in California for a while and um, had a good time out there um, doing all that. And I decided that I would get some mediums here in New Jersey um, or around the area and, um, you know, that I could go to and that my friends had gone to that we could trust. And that's important. Um, and then I would suggest strongly if we've got like eight or nine months of chronic grief here, we're not moving, we're not taking care of the kids that are left, 
um, you know, there's a lot of things in our life we should be doing. So finally, um, I've gotten people to go uh, and some could just go. They will go if as long as you recommend someone. So it's not like I'm twisting everybody's uh -huh. arm. But men especially seem to have more guilt. Um, you know, if their wife dies about what they did and they didn't do that upset her. And um, so they need to go and find out that it isn't their fault, what happened. Um, and so um, when when they go and they come back to you, they're, they're like their shoulders are down and they're happy. And, and um, you can't, if you send someone to a medium, you can't say, well, your mother's going to come in and talk to you. Right. But uh, so that gentleman that I'm thinking of, his wife had died. His parents had died a year before. And his aunt and uncle had died that his favorite people uh, 18 months before that. I said, you've got all these people up there. Somebody's going to come in and talk to you. So when he came, um, he said they all came in and talked to him. <laughs> and then he was ready to parent his kids and we could we could go on and he could he could live a life without feeling that he didn't deserve it. That's really amazing. And I'm so happy to hear that you do that. I've been to mediums in the past. Um, and I've gotten some really interesting information from them and um, from the other side, you know, and yes. what I know about um, our loved ones across on the other side is their personality remains the same. Yes. Or the way that they come through remains the same, which helps you really to identify exactly who's coming through. So, so that's really, really interesting. Um, what did Carl Jung talk about specifically? Well, said he talked about the fact that we have souls and yes. Um, well, we have. I have twenty-two volumes of everything he talked about. <laughs> uh, you can sum it up. And a probably there's a lot that hasn't been translated. One of the nice things about Carl Jung was he married into money, so he had a lot of time that he could take to study, and he did. He studied all kinds of religion and. Um, Let's see. Uh, well, one of the things he talked about was that your unconscious um, has an intelligence of its own. So it isn't just a blank uh, unconscious, like Freud said, that just held your childhood memories and your sexual repression. And that's why he and Freud broke up, is that he said uh, there's more in the unconscious than that because people have more interest than that. And, and um, his father was a minister and he had a grandfather that was a minister and he had uncles that were ministers. So the, he had a family of um, Swiss Protestants and um, and he understood visions and the Bible. Um, and he wasn't particularly religious. He was looking for answers from all the different types of religion. But the big thing is that your unconscious is there. It has all kinds of interesting things in it, negative, repressed stuff, but also possibilities and creativity. And um, he wanted you to get to know your unconscious. And the way you would do that with him is that um, he believed there were five layers in your unconscious. So, so if we take a circle and we cut it in half and the top part is your conscious, you and I are meeting consciously today. And then the bottom half is your unconscious and in the middle is the ego. So the ego says, there's nothing down there, we're fine. And because um, that's what your ego wants, it wants an ideal. And um, so you have to, number one, teach your ego that there's more down there than, than we know, and we need to find out some of it. Um, and the first layer would be your life and what happened to you. The second layer would be your parents' lives and how that affected you or they affected you. Your third layer would be your DNA, so your ancestors. And he believed that ancestors um, 
left jobs for us to do, although we didn't know that because sometimes nobody does genealogy. You don't know what your ancestors did. Mm -hmm. um, and he believed in genealogy also. And um, the fourth layer was your country or your culture. So how has that affected you? Then the last layer was yourself slash soul. And of course, the soul part would be spirit that we all have a, a spirit that has been given to us uh, in, in our soul. And the soul is immortal. It never dies. So what we need then is how does the soul get from here to there when we die? Um, well, you have you have humans have two bodies. And that's the news today. If you take nothing away from today, please take this. So you have a physical body and then you have a spiritual body. And St. Paul talks about that in the Bible. He says, you come in on the physical and you leave on the spiritual, which is so true. Um, so the spiritual body is called the etheric body, uh, the resurrection body, all different kinds of names, which is one part of spirituality that we really need to have a big spiritual dictionary where we can um, say what all of these things mean, because usually 20 things mean the same thing. Um, so that's why it's so difficult to understand, right? Right. Um, but your etheric body is housed in your solar plexus. And um, and then your vagus nerve, your 10th and longest nerve that comes in the top of your head, goes down to your neck, touches the amygdala, which is fight, flight, or frozen. So we help people with uh, panic, anxiety, post-traumatic stress with, with the vagus nerve and how to breathe. And then the vagus nerve goes down into your heart and down into your stomach. So Darwin called it the pneumogastric nerve, and he said... Your stomach tells your brain danger, danger when you're triggered and your heart rate goes up. Um, but, and that's great if you want to know about the vagus nerve and your physical body. And everybody's talking about that now, or at least a lot of doctors are, right? Mm -hmm. But it is the highway in the body of how the etheric body leaves. And, um, and we have people who have left and come back. So we have near-death people and we have out-of-body experiencers. Uh, they all don't get to have a spiritual experience, but about 20% of them do. So if they have a near death, they go out um, up the vagus nerve, which is, I think, the tunnel. So very dark. And then you get out the top of your head. And uh, combined with the vagus is your silver cord, which is an um, uh, invisible energies that we have uh, from the Sufis. And it's invisible. So nobody can see the silver cord. And then it goes out the top of your head. And when you're flying around up there, it connects you to the oxygen in your body. Now, when you die, you do that, and then um, your silver cord just stops vibrating, the vagus nerve stops vibrating, and the cord um, goes limp, and you just die and go up. Wow. That is so interesting. Um, you know, it's interesting to me that you said that the soul, the um, etheric bodies in the solar plexus, because uh, that's always where I feel everything. Right? Yes, right? Mm -hmm. It's always where I feel it, um, unless it's a heart issue, and then I feel it, you know, up here in the chakra, there. heart chakra. But for the most part, that's where I feel it. Is there a difference between um, the unconscious and the subconscious? Yeah, well, one's a little deeper than the other, and okay. most people say subconscious. I right. always say unconscious because that's just what I've read all these years. Right. I mean, I'm never really clear on um, the difference between that but okay so the unconscious really goes more into the spiritual into the ethereal um, that's where spiritual experiences happen from our unconscious area and okay. i believe the soul picks them for you so you you would have a different spiritual experience than i would have 
uh, because of our trauma or our life and whatever we need to know about. And I agree with you. And I want to talk a little more about that because um, I do agree that we come in with our soul has um, made a plan as to what we need to accomplish here. And I work with people who have suffered emotional trauma too, because I'm a narcissistic abuse counselor, uh, coach and expert. Um, and sometimes it really helps to know because people say, why am I being punished? And if they will hear me, if they have a spiritual perspective, I will always talk to them about the choices that they made. And I know for me, every time I felt like I was up against a wall, I said, that's what I came here for. Because, you know, <laughs> every time it gets super hard, you know, this is one of the things you came here to overcome. Trial um, by fire. So, so what do you have to say about that? Well, I agree with you. And that's what Jung said, the trial by fire, because he compared us to alchemy, um, you know, people trying to turn lead into gold. Only we were the gold uh, eventually. Um, and life is hard and messy. Um, and narcissists make it even harder. So that's wonderful that you're doing that. Um, <clears throat> but I think if, if you think about those five layers I talked about, that's what we do in therapy first. So I, I kind of give people a map when they come in and this is what's gonna happen. Uh, we're gonna study this and this and, um, and you're gonna tell me how you feel and then we get your story. Because you'll, um, when he, he graduated the university, he was an assistant at a mental hospital and the mental hospital was a block long. And, and it was like a little village. They had a shop and they had a garden and they had all this stuff. And the, the staff lived on the second floor with their family. So for six months, his first six months, he never left. He just stayed there. And because his, his mother had been psychic, his grandfather had been um, psychic, also a minister. His grandfather sat at lunch with his second wife and they talked to his first wife on the other side. So, and Jung said his mother was a fine mother, except that sometimes she would come out with stuff that had nothing to do with the conversation. And then, and then at night, you didn't go in her bedroom at night because he was hearing all kinds of voices and stuff. So she, you know, she was a psychic and she, I'm sure. And he, and he said she went away sometime. So I would think, you know, that she was taken to a hospital and then she came back. Oh, um, so they, so we thought, had, they thought that her psychic ability was mental illness. Which happens a lot still, you know, know. and pe that's why people are afraid to talk about it. Um, but he had, he had seen all these levels of consciousness. Now, Freud was very different because he just, um, he believed that, you know, boom, boom, that's two things in your unconscious and that's it. And he thought religious was just, religion was just neurotic. Right. Um, he focused on the ego. Yes, he did. And then, and dreams. He did a lot of work with dreams and taught us a lot about that because your dreams can be helpful to you. That's another thing that comes from the unconscious. Um, and then there, then William James studied mediumship and he and Carl Jung met only once. And I really feel sad about that, that they didn't get to have a correspondence because I think they would have learned a lot from each other, but they didn't. Um, and then Abraham Maslow, he, he's the only one that first started talking about positive psychology. What are happy things that happen to people? Well, let's talk about that, you know? And, um, and then he turned religious experience into peak experience for education. So, and he believed God was just being. 
Um, and both James and Jung talked about God and that there was a God and he was, he, she was a God because they didn't, God didn't change. And then Jung is a little different because he believes that God is responsible for good and bad. So it's kind of interesting. Now, spiritual experiences, or let's just talk about if a client comes in and, and they're they're here because of grief, right? And so I would ask them about, well, you know, what about Charlie? You know, what what was Charlie like? And uh, do you have a picture? And um, uh, tell me tell me about your you know deceased loved one. And then um, where do you think Charlie is? I always ask that question. I don't think other people ask that question that often. Because then what are they going to do if they can't discuss that, right? So anyway, uh, well, in heaven or up there or in a nice place or, well, I'm really worried <laughs> where he is. But it starts them to think about where are they? And then I ask, okay, now there's been some uh, recent um, studies on immortality, um, especially the Bigelow Institute in Las Vegas, which we can talk about. Um, and they're proving immortality just by using um, the definition of what how, how you would have to prove it in a court of law. And um, and they're using all the stories from the 1800s to, you know, to now that prove what you say, you know, that you feel, you know, in your stomach, you felt things and people see their deceased mother in their bedroom or their electricity goes on and off or they keep getting phone calls that go nowhere. That, yeah, right. All those things that happen show us that they're trying to um, speak to us because once somebody goes over the other side, they can't talk. They don't have a body. <clears throat> Excuse me. They um, they're a spirit and they can send us thoughts, though. So that's what a medium gets is thoughts and gives us evidence. Um, so you talked about the Bigelow Institute. Um, I've, I've never heard of that. What is the Bigelow Institute? Okay, it's um, a Bigelow Institute of Consciousness Studies in Las Vegas. And Robert Bigelow is a billionaire. And um, I understand he lost a wife, um, a son, and I think a grandchild. So all of a sudden now, and he was always into UFOs. And now he decided in 2021, um, in January, the New York Times had an article that he was willing to pay over a million dollars for researchers to write papers that would prove life after death. So 1,200 people applied for the application and that and you had to have worked in that research for like five years. And then um, that was in January. In November, people, uh, they, no, in August, um, 204 people gave him papers of 25 words or less. And then in November 1st, he announced 29 winners and he paid a million to $2 million for these paid papers, which you can go on to BICS. It's called BICS.org or .com in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. And you could download any of those papers if you want to. And um, the first um, first prize won $500,000 uh, for that paper. And that was Jeffrey Mishlove, who he is a psychologist that used to be on PBS. And he would interview all these different types of people uh, on spirituality and quantum physics and all that and he so his paper every reference was a video which is pretty astounding right um and then um there are different people like a near-death person expert one um and one guy won 150,000, and he talked about scrooge and those ghosts that came in and um it, it's also interesting at least to me 
because it's, uh, he's he's paying money and uh, now they're continuing their research um, and uh, what I understand he's looking for now is any type of information that's come from the other side that is really wisdom. And then um, there was Dr. Moody or James Moody. I think his first name was James. Who Raymond. did all, all the studies of people who crossed over. He did massive amounts of studies of people uh, and he um, chronicled that information as well. And there's so much proof right there that yes. Um, we cross over and what we see. Yes, yeah, so he was on my PhD committee, Raymond. Um, oh, Raymond, he's a, yeah, Raymond. He, he's a great guy. Yeah, yeah, Raymond Moody. Yeah, he's he's pretty cool. Um, okay, so I'm looking at, at some of the points here. And um, one of them is the spiritual experience of Bill Wilson, founder of Alcoholics Anonymous. How does that connect to all of this? Well, Bill Wilson didn't believe in God, number one. And he was an alcoholic and he'd gone to the same hospital for 22 years. His wife uh, was a hardworking woman and she paid for all this. And um, after 22 years, his, um, his doctor said, we've been doing this a long time. And in 1930, if you were an alcoholic, you were put in a mental institution usually. And Bill's, uh, I'll never, an alcoholic always has an I never, this will never happen because of my drinking. Uh, he said he'd never go in a mental hospital and his wife could afford a nice uh, clean hospital. So that's where he went. But the doctor said, we're not going to do this anymore. So if you come back to me again, I'm going to put you in a mental hospital. And um, so that night he got down on his knees to pray in his hospital room. And he prayed, if there is a God, please take away my desire to drink. So he said what happened was that a light, his room filled with light and um, an air uh, of spirit, not of wind, came through him. And his desire to drink was gone. So then the next morning, he thought, well, I've hallucinated before. So what was that, right? So that is a big question. What is mental illness and what is a spiritual experience, right? And we can talk about that. Um, so he told his doctor. What happened? So his doctor said, well, I'm a doctor, so I don't know anything about that stuff. Uh, but he said, whatever you did last night, he said, I'd stay with it because you look better today than you've ever looked. Wow. So he had the light that came in. And then his friend, Ebby, now Ebby uh, happened to be sober at this time and visited him in the hospital. And a synchronicity, which Jung believes in, uh, was that he was reading William James's book, The Variety of Spiritual Experiences. And so he says, Bill Wilson, you had a spiritual experience. I'm just reading about them. And um, so then that's the 11th step of AA talks about you can have a spiritual experience out of the 12 steps. So then Bill, um, he had been going to a church. Um, forget what it was called now. A Protestant church with his buddies. And um, they believed in uh, studying the early days of Christ and the disciples. And so... And they had all these slogans. The only thing they, the guys didn't like about this was that they wanted more publicity and more publicity. And Bill and his friends didn't want their picture taken at these meetings. But it was helping them not drink. And then they would go down the hospital and try to help other alcoholics. And um, so, so he wrote the 12 steps from that program, from the church. And he eventually um, 
got, wrote a book that the first 100 alcoholics helped him write. And it's a very spiritual program now. And he believes, um, he, he talks about a higher power and that he said every alcoholic has to know there's something higher than them because of their ego, right? Well, every person needs to know there's something higher than you. That's one of the things about being spiritual. Do you believe? Because people say, oh, yo, I have faith, but they're scared to death to leave their house, right? So what good is their faith? That's not really faith. Right. So my, um, my spiritual journey began from a 12-step program. Now, it wasn't for me. I was there for a loved one. And at the time, um, I was at my bottom, and I was looking for some help. And I remember um, hearing, um, to turn it, hearing about turning it over to a higher power. And I grew up Jewish, but I never felt anything from it at all. I, it really didn't do anything for me. And I remember saying to the chair lady that day, I don't have a higher power. I don't even know what my higher power is. That's right. And she said, it can be anything. So I started with love. Okay. With that because that was something I could grasp. That was something that was outside of me. And but from that point on, it propelled me into research and reading um, about all this spiritual stuff. And so for the last 30 years, I've been really involved in it, looking into it. <clears throat> um, but it's interesting that that's where my my journey started. So you were talking about um, mental illness versus the spiritual experience. And I have heard, um, I forget where I was reading this, but someone said that schizophrenia has something to do with the input from the spirit world. Have you heard that? Well, sometimes schizophrenics uh, are talking to God or Mohammed or whoever. Okay. Um, now, the difference would be if someone's had a spiritual experience, they can um, they can tell you that story over and over again. The same story, doesn't matter. Right. They can come in and out of it and keep going. They are humbled by this experience. And... Um, they want to talk to you about it. <clears throat> now, someone in psychosis, um, like a, 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 a schizophrenic might be at times, they're bragging and they're grandiose about it. Mm -hmm. I, I, I just talked to Jesus and Jesus mm -hmm. and I agree this. And then, and then you can ask them in an hour, well, what happened with Jesus? Oh, no. Well, that I forgot about that. Uh, so okay. they can't give you that same story over and over. Now, it's not saying that a schizophrenic couldn't be having a spiritual experience. It would be the part of the story that the person would stay with. And then what we would need in a hospital is a team of people to decide this, you know, not just one, but, um, and, and in 1994, there were three um, psychologists in San Francisco in a hospital, and they were seeing spiritual experiences in this mental hospital that people were having and they were being drugged and everything and nobody noticed that. So uh, that was the year that there was a new DSM, Diagnostic Manual. What year was that? 1994. Okay. <clears throat> and uh, excuse me. 
And then um, they wrote, I think, I don't know, like just to say a 15 page paper on um, spiritual experiences. And uh, they had um, statistics that mystical experiences and near death experiences were happening in the United States and Britain uh, to the rate of 30 to 40 percent of people were having these. Wow. And um, guess what they did? They they have a little one inch um, religious and spiritual problem V code. Now a V code means that it's just normal, just happened, which spirits do, but they never put in there that 30 to 40% of the people are having mystical experiences or near death. And this is how it got in there. They just watered it down. They just don't want to hear about it. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I'm very familiar with the DSM five and the, and the, um, restrictions. Uh, they're not, whoops, what happened to you? Oh, there I'm you are. Here. Okay. Um, a screen came up. So, okay. um, yeah, I mean, they're very behind They're They're very slow to take on new concepts. I know that. Um, yeah, but, um, and so therapists don't even know. 30 to 40% of the population were having those in 1994. Mm -hmm. Now 40 to 50% of the population are having them. Wow. So I'm really waiting for when we get over the 50% mark. Cause, <laughs> and, and you know, when you hear, um, you watch the news or, I remember one guy had accepted an Academy Award one night, I think it was Denzel Washington. And he said, I can't wait to go home and talk to my grandmother about this. <laughs> You know, she, she's on the other side, but we talk every night. So it's out there that people believe in talking to spirit, but it's just out there. And then nobody comments on that talking to grandma comment, right? They just kind of let it go because they're afraid of it. They're very afraid of it. And part of that is um, the religious tenets that people are holding to, that some people feel like that's the... the that's the devil or you know you're dabbling in 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 you know something that you shouldn't be so uh, some people are scared of it um i never have been right me either <laughs> that's good it's fascinating <laughs> it's fascinating to and know that there's so much more and you know even knowing that um that's another thing that gets me through hard times because i say to myself this is very temporary. You're going through something. You're in school. You're in college. You're in the toughest university there is. And you're going to learn it. Um, and you'll move on eventually. And, you know, and you'll see everybody you lost. And so um, to me that I find that very comforting. I, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's what I try to teach, um, you know, all of this that we're talking about, because just our materialistic society and consuming, it doesn't make people happy. Mm -mm. I mean, to a point, but you know, true happiness. And um, uh, I, what I also talk about is there are three metaphysical systems that Jung and, and William James talked about. Okay. So uh, the first is a sensory reality and you and I are in the sensory reality we met. There's a past, present and future here. And um, this is where we live normally. Um, and then the second reality is a clairvoyant reality where um, where all the things, the, the light came in to Bill Wilson and the breath and all that stuff happens to people in spiritual experiences or they see angels or um, on the beach, you know, they see their whole life uh, flash before them. That's clairvoyant reality. So that's coming from, excuse me, from the fourth dimension and um, into the third dimension. 
And that can happen at any time, you know, to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and people say then, the near-death people have told me, um, when you have a near-death and you're in the clairvoyant reality, you're in the now. And so it's just now. There's no past, present, or future. You're just there. So now when you're in, you can be in the now on the beach, you can be in the now in church, you could be, you know, uh, watching a grandchild, you know, play. And that's all you see. And it's wonderful and beautiful at that moment. So that's the clairvoyant reality. Then the third reality is a transpsychic reality where miracles happen. And then people are, you know, they don't have cancer anymore and that kind of stuff. So these three realities just come uh, metaphysical uh, realities just come and go all around us. Wow, wow. So now when you think about that, it's easy mm-hmm. then maybe to have a spiritual experience or easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, you were saying um, when I asked you about um, schizophrenia and you were saying that they don't remember it as, as a vivid experience. I know that that's um, the same as when you have dreams of people who have passed. Uh, because I, ones I had decades ago, I can remember with clarity, complete clarity. I see it. So, um, and most dreams, like you say, come and go. We, we don't really hold on to them. So that's how you know that you've connected with someone. And that's the clairvoyant reality. Okay. That stays with you. Okay. That's really interesting. Uh, I used to volunteer for hospice, and um, so my job was to sit with the dying at their bed, and they often would gaze up into the corner of the ceiling. And um, one of them, she had a whole dialogue. She told me who was there. Right. It was a room full of people, um, you know, and I I completely believed her. I mean, I, I really did. And I, know. I had another experience with someone who the um, the partner called me and said, don't come because he's having a psychotic experience. And I said, oh, really? What's going on? Well, he sees these white things coming in from the, the ceiling. Right. Angels, you know, he's and he's terrified and they're coming in and they keep coming in. He keeps calling them the church ladies. So, <laughs> you know, it, it's really it's interesting. Um, and we need all those stories. Because they're trying to make him comfortable with where he's going. I know. And I thought to myself, there, she said, she said, the doctor says it's the medication. I know. That's what the doctor is going to say. Yep. Right. And I'm, I, what can I say? I'm just a volunteer. I can't argue with the doctor. Um, so, right, you talked about the two bodies. Pre-tergression. What's pre-tergression? And the new knowledge coming from okay. paranormal. What's that? Now that's Raymond Moody's term. Okay. And I'm going to read you something because um, when I he was my um, a consultant, I read everything that he wrote, and um, he has a book he wrote, The Last Laugh. It's the funniest book, and uh, the the publisher didn't change it. So if you want to read a good Raymond Moody book, I love that book. Okay. And in there, he's talked about pre-digression. Now. Preter, something that's come before, then gresses out, comes to, into our life now, okay? And the, the, the ex- explanation he had, I, I asked him for an example, and he, he gave me another term, but I, I didn't wasn't an example. So I kept thinking about it and thinking about it as I'm doing my doctorate work, 
and I was running spirituality groups at that time. And um, <clears throat> so there was this client. So I'm going to read this to you and then we can talk about it if you want. Okay. A client mm -hmm. described a meditation she had after Christmas in which she saw the three kings and they bowed to her. She stated it was a phenomenal feeling having the three kings appear during her meditative state. She was filled with so much energy that she felt they had come to tell her that she was worthy of esteem and they were bowing to the divine inside of her. Oh, wow. Her family of origin issue had been one of depression because for one reason, she had been born with a statement from her family that Wednesday's child is full of woe. How this image replacement from the paranormal and or spiritual part of her happened for this client is described below. Before meditating, she had felt particularly depressed and was in such a black period that she had felt almost forced to sit in the chair to meditate. Her homework from the spirituality group had been to try to meditate when these depressive periods would happen. In this meditation, the three kings were images that came from her Catholic background. And this was an example of the paranormal experience that came about because of the client's prior concept of knowledge. Her association with mental illness would be her depression. And Raymond said it predegresses uh, when people have mental illness, as, it, as explained by Moody, 1999, and also in a personal telephone conversation. <laughs> so he said, the paranormal depends on prior ordinary concept of knowledge. This client was a Christian. It was just after Christmas. And it might have been on Three Kings Day, right? The images from the paranormal experience caused her to undergo a reflex process and connect to a new image in her mind that would positively affect her life. And he would call this an example of predigression. And he said it's the purpose of the paranormal that we get these, right? So we get these different types. And I would call that definitely a, a spiritual experience. Yes. I'm surprised that I never heard that term before. Yeah, his the last laugh is not a book everybody reads. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna read it. I know it was it's so much fun, <laughs> and especially if you know his work. Yeah, I do. I know. I do know his work. Um, what do you? Okay, so so you talked about like the first layer when people come to you and they're they're grieving and they can't seem to move forward, and you talk to them about where their loved ones have gone. Where do you go from there? Well, we, we do a lot of work like with the five layers of the unconscious, because usually um, this grief has brought up some issues that they have not handled before. Okay. So we just do regular therapy work there. And then um, then I, I usually would recommend, um, I don't know if you've heard of this, it's a Netflix documentary, Surviving Death. Okay. And it yes, came out two I've years ago. It. Okay. So the first is one, five one-hour episodes, right? The first one is on near-death experience. So I would have them somewhere in there watch that first one um, because it shows what happens when you go the other side and you come back. And of course, it's all these PhDs that have had these spiritual experiences. And, and that's the thing with Bix too. It's all PhDs. Now, what I'm trying to do is say, you, <laughs> Mrs. Normal, housewife, you can have a spiritual experience too, right? Um, but once they see that and they see how beautiful the people talk about going to the other side and coming back mm -hmm. is, then they have more of a sense of where their loved one is. And and that those people, the angels in the corner, were waiting for them over there to, to make it um, more comfortable for them. And I've read and understand that when we go to the other side, number one, gravity does not affect 
the etheric body. So when, when it leaves, you can't walk. So you float. <clears throat> and then, uh, you know, if you read the stories that have come back from spirits, they say, they call it locomotion. They kind of, um, they kind of uh, float above the ground, but they don't walk. Um, and then there's some kind of a, like a homing pigeon has a, a flight pattern of where to go. Well, so do we. And this flight pattern takes us to our loved ones. Wow. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I, I read um, a while back that when we see ghosts, they're always about three feet off the ground. Yes. You know, they're never on the ground. And, and because, yeah, they don't have the ability to walk. There's no gravity. Yep. <laughs> no gravity. No, no gravity. Um, and then there's Brian Weiss, who was, you were talking about doctors who have had these experiences. And Brian Weiss did a whole lot of uh, research into past lives. And, and that was very interesting, too. So, um, and I think Raymond Moody did research into children who had memories. Was it him yeah. that did, was it him that did the uh, research? PMH Atwater does children. Okay. But Raymond might have too. I don't know. I've never, yeah. I've never read that. Right. I'm not, I'm not up to date on, on that kind of thing. But um, it's very, very, <clears throat> very fascinating. So if somebody comes to you and they're really locked into religion and the rules and regulations of religion, how do you work with that? Um. I don't get a lot of people that are locked into religion because uh, my business started um, working with children from alcoholic homes okay. and they're not big on authority okay. <laughs> <laughs> because their authority figures were kind of crazy <laughs> and you couldn't trust what they would do. Right. So, um, but if, if, even if I get people that are religious, they, they are uh, somehow doubting certain things and there's certain things about we'll just pick on the catholic church right now that they don't like the priest and all the rules and no women that are you know made to be important and that kind of stuff um i haven't found it to be a problem because we could always find a place um like i remember one gal that came in and she had been raised catholic and um most people now because this thing about being spiritual is you know out there and people aren't going to church as much and the people that come in and say they're spiritual, they believe in the golden rule. And they just try to maybe adapt something from their religion that they like. Now, she liked saying the rosary. So she had a rosary ring. And when she would jog, she would say the rosary when she jogged. And that would keep her calm, right? Um, and help. Um, but that was all she did. And, and then sometimes she'd go to church. I mean, it is a nice, quiet place. And, you know. You know, you can you can um, certainly have spiritual experiences there if you want to. In fact, it was really interesting. This thing about no gravity. Um, I have a friend who um, went with her mother-in-law to a Catholic service um, where they lay on hands. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but um, and then sometimes they touch your forehead and and they flash back. Right. Well, she had this thing happen to her where. They touched the forehead and they flat and she went back and people catch you. And she said, but I was floating. Wow. So she was in the etheric body. 
Wow. So, so you see, but they don't know that. Are you not? I, I, I feel your frustration. I really do. I really do. There's, there's just, yeah. I mean, I've had, I had uh, probably in the years that I've been doing this, maybe three or four people that have vetted me and they watched my YouTube videos. They went to my website. They saw me mention something about spirituality or past lives or something like that. And they were panicking and they would say to me, I saw that you do this, but I'm very involved in Christianity. And I just want to make sure you can stay within my beliefs and not go off into this other thing. And I said, well, I'll meet you where you are, you know. That's right. Yeah. I'll meet you where you are. But, um, you know, but for some people, letting that go is very difficult, especially when they've been taught to believe that um, all their issues can be solved by the minister, the preacher, whatever, the priest who um, who is trained in psychology. <laughs> And they go to this and they end up getting worse. And, you know, it, it's just, um, there's such irony here that, you know, it, it, it's, it's very hard to just look at this and just go, can't you see, yeah. <laughs> can't you see what's happening here? But, you know, I try to be gentle. Well, yeah, because not everybody is at this level either. I mean, to, to be able to, you know, you and I have read a lot of things most people haven't read and studied. Um, but the cat, but the church, the Catholic Church, I mean, Christ, I believe, was a medium. I mean, he he healed people, right? He's a healer. Uh, and um, you know, he had all of these qualities that many mediums have. Not all of them have them, but you know, that that do have some of those, and they can heal people. And when you go to Lilydale, which is um, the spiritualist, you know, uh, place uh, by Lake Erie uh, in New York State, um, they have a healing temple where people go in wheelchairs and they are healed. Wow. So mediums do that also. It's just that people aren't educated enough to know that. Right. Uh, so there's a lot that a lot of places you could go. And if somebody came and wanted me just to stay in their, you know, their world, I do that. I stay in their world. OK, so you tell me what you think. And how, how does that work? And does that make you feel better? Or do you have questions about that? So that's, we just talk about it. You that's know? good. That's really a good approach. So there's how many therapists out there are doing work like you do? I don't know. Maybe a handful? <laughs> Maybe, yeah. I, when I meet people like you guys, you know, that I've been interviewed by a couple of people, one lady in Arizona, no, Australia. She knows more about the vagus nerve than I've ever heard. And I, it's just so nice, to, you know, refreshing for me to just meet some people that, yeah, Karen, keep going, keep going. Yeah. I learned about the vagus nerve about six years ago when I went to a, a doctor who specialized in the throat because I've been having throat problems. And she told me that I had neuropathy of the vagus nerve in that area. And I had never heard that before. Now, vagus nerve, vagus nerve, vagus nerve. It's everywhere. And she, I remember her saying to me, nobody talks about the vagus nerve, but it's so important to it everything. Is. It touches so. every part of your body. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. So I, I tell them about breathing through it. Um, so if you want to calm yourself down, that say you can breathe into the count of four 
And then you breathe out as far as you can. So, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And then you breathe in the count of four. Now, this is not the usual way we breathe. Um, so I tell them you have to get used to that kind of breath. But if you're having a, a panic attack or you're anxious about something, just sit and, and you know, imagine you're at the beach or your quiet place and then just breathe and you will calm yourself down. And that's really good news to them that they can calm themselves down. Yes. Yes. I mean, I, I think that's called box breathing. Um, okay. Yes. It's, yeah. And, and this is something I use with my clients as well. Um, and, and what you said is really important because a lot of anxiety is produced by the fear of having anxiety, right? That's right. Right. So, <laughs> so if somebody knows they have a tool for their anxiety, they're, chances are they're going to have less of it because now they're not going to worry about having it. That's true. That's true. <laughs> and then people who are depressed, you know, usually you could say, well, you got to get out in the morning and take a walk or run or do something. And, oh yeah, sure. Well, they don't always do that, but I have a big um, uh, poster of the vagus nerve here. So I bring it out and I show them how much touches everything. It's your job now in the morning to get this vagus nerve moving. Well, guess what? They exercise more now because they have a point of, in their body that they have to get moving. Okay. I like it. Yeah, I, I think that's really, uh, whatever motivates people, that's great. If they could see something, it's concrete. They can yes, that's it. right, yeah. <clears throat> um, okay. So we've talk, I've asked you a lot, about a lot of things. Is there something that you wanna share with us that I haven't asked, or maybe, maybe something really interesting that I haven't brought up? Well, um, I just think that people need to know about the near-death people that when they do pass over, and it's like um, they're they're having the experience of dying, but they're not dying because they're going to come back. Um, there's this wonderful light, and um, it's beautiful there, and flowers and colors and all different types of things when you go to the other side. Um, I want you to know whoever is listening and, and, and listen to what Randy said, that there are spirits and angels that are waiting for you or your loved one, and they will be taken care of um, and helped over there. They just don't go into this darkness and nobody helps them. Um, even people that are suicidal and kind of when they die, they die, you know, all enclosed in their own problems. I believe that's what hell is. Hell is not a place. It's an energy um, place where if we go over there with a with an attitude of oh, I'm really curious where is this light and I want to see my grandmother or whoever it is um, those people that love you will be waiting because love is the greatest energy there is and that is the connection that keeps the spirits coming back to want they want you to know it's like going on vacation when you have a new place you want to call and say hey this is what it's like <laughs> they want to tell you and so if you can think about um, dying for yourself or for your loved one as a place like vacation. That's that's where they're going to go. And there's going to be angels and guides there um, that will help them. One of the things they talk about the spirits is a life review that they have within the first three days usually. And um, it's like a movie of their life and they see everything they've ever done uh, from the other people's perspective. And so that could be you know, very guilt producing, but there's, there's no judgment. It's just, to, just to show you, and maybe you can learn from that. 
or maybe you just see it and then you learn from it later. Because I do believe as a spirit up there, you are constantly being taught if that's what you want. Right. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned the life review. Uh, it's often the only way I can answer the, the following question. Is my narcissist ever going to get punished? Are they ever going to feel what they feel what they did? Are they ever going to have guilt? Are they ever going to repent? I said, not here. <laughs> I said, but when they face it in their life review, that's going to be so much worse. So um, sometimes we don't see people get their due here. Um, the horrible people, um, but they're going to get it. They're going to get it somewhere. And uh, since the soul is eternal, that's probably the best place to think that they're going to get it. Um, it. And you mentioned suicide. I had just written that word down. So you, either you pulled it out of my head or I pulled it out of yours. Um, <laughs> right. So what is your opinion on suicides? We don't want people to think, okay, commit suicide and you're going to a wonderful place and everything like that. But you know, it used to be that people thought, well, you're, there's a lot of philosophies. People th think that you're going to just turn around and come back in, um, that you're, ne you're going to be stuck in purgatory, that you're never going to get to heaven. Um, so what do you, what do you think about that? Well, it's just like I said, so they're going to go over there in this, with this darkness all around them thinking, well, you know, I'm going to show them, they're going to miss me or, you know, whatever it is that they're doing. And not all suicides are like that, but just the negative ones. So when they go over there, they're in this like black cloud. And so what I've read is that they don't even see the light, but that there's always spirit guides or angels that are working with them to try to bring them out of this darkness. Hmm. And that eventually, you know, they're going to come out. It's just like, how many lives will that take? And that it's another thing too, something that is not popular in America is past lives, that they will come back so that your narcissist will get a chance to come back and do it again. Yes, I know. <laughs> <clears throat> and, and he or she may do the same thing and maybe takes three, three lives to get it, but they'll get it. I guess so. I mean, that's another thing I say to people. I said, get it right now. Because right. this is a tough place. You want to come back here and do this again? Do it now. <laughs> oh, yeah. This it. earth is the best place to learn. Yeah. It, and it because, really uh, and you, you know, that's great. And, and you can, when, if you talk to your, or find your loved one coming back, what, that would be one thing to ask them if you go to a medium is, um, did they have a life review? And what did they see? And what was that like for them? You know, I um, I lost my sister about a year and a half ago, and I went to a medium and everything like that. Yeah. A and um, she didn't want to talk about what had happened here. Oh. She said that she was she died of Lou Gehrig's. She said that she was so um, happy to be free of her body. That's you right. Yeah. But when I asked her, you know, what was going on, because there was a lot of things going on at the time, she said, I've moved past that. <laughs> she didn't want to talk about it. So I didn't get a lot of good information. But um, I was happy to know that she's free from her body and 
I would think that some of that bothers her. She's not ready to deal with it. Right? There were a lot of issues around that because I come from a very toxic family. So there was a lot of stuff that happened around that. Um, wow. I told you we'd have an interesting conversation. I, I just knew we would. Okay. So Karen, um, you work directly with clients, patients? Yes, I do. Huh? <clears throat> okay. And I also, I also teach on the internet. I teach other therapists. Oh, okay. And you teach them spirituality and exactly what we're talking about today? Yes, I teach them Jungian psychology. And then I have um, a talk, where did they go? Are they okay? And mm -hmm. that's that's about, you know, uh, where where are your spirit loved ones? And uh, what, what happened to them? What did they see? So a lot about what we talked about, but with pictures and descriptions. Um, and I enjoy doing that. And, you know, so, and I write articles, but mostly um, I really enjoy, mm -hmm. I teach for a CEU.org and um, also CHI International. So if you want to uh, have a, a list of, um, they can email me and I'll, I'll send them, you know, uh, those places and then they can, it's thirty nine ninety five, and they're usually about two hours. Okay. And yeah. other, other therapists are getting CEUs, but anybody can come on and just, uh, you know, watch it. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> okay. I was thinking, um, so you're teaching other therapists and um, how do grief therapists, people who specialize in grief, grief therapy do this without this kind of approach? I, I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know because it's, it's the approach that I use. Um, right. <clears throat> I have no idea. Yep, that would be very um, And just one more thing. You mentioned Mrs. Piper back in the beginning. I'm not, I've never heard about her. Who is Mrs. Piper? Oh, Mrs. Piper <clears throat> is William James' is a medium that he studied for years. And English people came over, a medium, um, English spiritualists came, and they studied her. And they, she went to England. And 22, 25 years, they studied this woman. Put sand in her mouth, checked her mail. I mean, how, how long do you have to study somebody before you've got it, you know? Right. But people went to her. And then when William James died, I understand he came through her. Wow. So she it's an interesting story. She's from Massachusetts. She was a mother of two daughters, I believe. And, um, and she did put up with a lot um, of his friends studying her and then going to England a couple of times to be studied there by spiritualists. And they have spiritualist churches there. Now, now we have spiritual churches here, but only maybe 1% of the population attends them. But during the 1800s to like 1910, about 25% of the population in the United States were spiritualists and they were having seances. So we've, we've left that though, because um, when Freud came out, we, we left William James and, and Carl Jung and, and because Freud kicked Carl Jung out for saying, you know, this, um, your limited idea of the unconscious is not true. Uh, they said that he was a mystic and he believed in God. And so why would we listen to him? You know, I was going to say, this is, this is probably a good time to be embracing this because that there were times where people like this, that believed like this were considered witches, um, yes. Massachusetts and they were burned and <clears throat> we know what happened to Jesus. And it can be very threatening to people when you, uh, when you, speak out like this <clears throat> but right now at least um so many people are embracing this and i like to do this podcast because i like to bring 
all kinds of concepts to people. And it's, it's like, take it really, you know, here, find what you like, find what works for you, take it. And um, so I'm really particular with what I put on here and I try to make it always different. And so, you know, for those of you who are listening, this may be your cup of tea, it may not be. But um, at least here, it's a perspective and um, something I believe in. You may not, may or may not. Uh, Karen, so what is, you said email you, what is your email address? It's Karen, K-A-R-E-N, at Karen, Herrick, H-E-R-R-I-C-K, dot com. Okay. And is there a website? Yes. Karen E. Herrick, dot com. Okay, perfect. You're like and me. They, and they can name. get free podcasts on there and, you know, different information that I've, uh, there's a YouTube channel and all that. Oh, okay, great. You, do you do, do you do a podcast or? Um, I do not. I do not. Maybe that's coming up, you know, my old age. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of fun. I, I've been doing it a really long time. Yeah, it seems like the people that have interviewed me, they seem to be having a good time. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, listen, uh, people who aren't into this are not going to. They're not going to let the, I mean, when I see the pitch come across my desk, you know, there's certain right. things that just don't appeal, appeal to me, but right. this does definitely. So oh, I'm anyway. so glad. It's so nice to have met you. <laughs> yeah. It's nice to meet you too. <clears throat> so you're in New Jersey. Are you still in private practice? Yes, I am. Okay. All right. And so for any of you that are listening, do you do um, all uh, in office or do you do... I do Zoom and Skype, and, um, and then I also do the office. Uh huh. Perfect. Okay. So for any of you who are listening and would like to work, like would like to work with Karen, um, just go to her website. So thank you. Have a wonderful day. It's been really fun talking. I've to enjoyed you. it very much. Yeah, me too. All right. You so, have a great day too, and thank you. You're welcome. It's nice to meet you. Same here.